what are the prerequisites or what are the conditions and that is going to be the uh, subject of this session uh, let's first look into the meaning uh, the greek word that has been translated as uh, disciples uh, it it comes from a word associated with studies so a disciple is a student and in those days in first century israel um, there were rabbis who would have disciples or students and uh, it was not like how it is today like today if you go to college you attend classes uh, this does not mean that you emulate your professor and everything that he does you you just study the subject from him and go on and take up a job but in first century israel it was not like that a disciple is a student who emulates everything that his rabbi or his teacher does so that is the meaning of the word disciple a serious student somebody who is inter interested in following his master imitating his teacher that's the meaning of the word disciple so this word was used for the 12 disciples of the lord jesus then afterwards it was used for many other people like um, uh, joseph of arimathea is referred to as a disciple then there is another believer called nason he is also referred to as a disciple then we also have this term christian we are all christians okay so what's the difference between a christian and a disciple shall we turn to acts chapter 11 acts chapter 11 and verse 26 Acts chapter 11 verse 26 if someone could read it loudly Yeah yeah so the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch which means that actually there is no difference um all those people who were disciples of the Lord Jesus they were just given the nickname of christians so what i'm trying to say is it's not possible to say that yeah i'm a christian but i'm not a disciple uh, it's true that today the word christian has become very broad and it is used by many people with many different meanings but if you look at the original meaning of the word christian it was just a nickname for the disciples of christ okay um what are the other can you Can you point out some other responses to Jesus? Some people have become disciples of Christ. Any other responses to the Lord Jesus? Not everyone is a disciple of Christ. So, what other reactions came to Jesus Christ? Any suggestions? Loudly. A follower is a disciple only. Okay, someone said something else. Ah, there are some people who are admirers of the Lord Jesus. You know, people who appreciate him. probably some of us are aware that you know mahatma gandhi really appreciated the sermon on the mount and all those things swami vivekanand uh, but they never became disciples of christ they never acknowledged the person and work of the lord jesus they appreciated some things about him um uh, there's another category of admirers and uh, we can call them maybe fans you know these are the people who they will wear a cross or they may wear t-shirts and they will have wear bands there's nothing wrong in wearing a t-shirt or a band with the name of the lord jesus on it but uh, the lord jesus did not really ask for that what he asked was for disciples any other reaction to the lord jesus any other response some are skeptics some were skeptics the pharisees did not believe in the lord jesus and uh, today in the world we have lot of people who 
they do not believe him uh, some of them criticize him also if you search online for uh, hatred towards the lord jesus you will get like huge number of uh, search results any other category sorry ah some people were curious just onlookers maybe they saw something and they maybe reported about him there is, there is a historian called josephus uh, who lived in the first century israel and in his uh, historical accounts of israel he mentions that you know there was a wise man called jesus and his followers are still there today and all that so josephus was an onlooker an observer so some people are like that there's one more category which i want to mention and that's what i call assenters people who mentally they say yes to the lord jesus yes he is the christ he is the son of the living god yes he is the son of god yes he is the savior but um, you know that is the same kind of assent that even the demons have we were reminded of that in the morning also uh they 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 believe in jesus christ but it's only an intellectual mental belief uh there is no commitment to him there is no response to him so you have all these various categories of people who reacted in different ways to the lord jesus but the lord jesus never pitched for any of these uh he only asked people to be his disciples he came looking for disciples so if we are not disciples maybe weak disciples maybe poor disciples maybe immature disciples maybe struggling disciples but if you are not disciples then we have nothing to do with christ am i making myself clear yeah if you are not disciples of christ then we have nothing it, it doesn't matter whether you are an assenter whether you are an admirer from a distance whether you're a skeptic you have no part in jesus christ unless you are a disciple of jesus christ now shall we turn to luke chapter 14 verse 26 yeah luke chapter 14 verse 26 yeah someone could read it yes Uh, you know muslims sometimes like to point out that nowhere in the bible does jesus say that he is god uh, they 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 believe that he is just a prophet so they say see there's nowhere in the bible that jesus says he is god it's true that jesus never stood in the stood on a mountain top and said i am god those three words are not recorded from the lord jesus mouth um, in the bible but there were many occasions on which some of the statements that he said some of the things that he did implied directly or indirectly that he was god and this is one of them uh, if someone comes to you and says that you know unless you hate your father mother brother sister wife and so on uh, you cannot be my disciple then we would obviously ask you who do you think you are who do you think you are to make such kind of demands on me why should i care about you i care about my parents i care about my family why should i care about you and what is the answer to this question what right does the lord jesus have to make a statement like this he is god himself he is our creator <laughs> only the creator can come to you and say that you should give more importance to me than your own family okay but now we see the statement that the lord jesus is making 
we see that he is asking for ultimate commitment. Uh, but we need a motivation for that. So that's what we're going to look into. Just because, just because we make a rule, just because someone has said this is what you should do, um, as human beings, we won't automatically do it. We need a motivation. There has to be some reason for us to do it. So how can we answer this question? Why should we be the disciples of Christ? Or why should we become disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ? Answer? Because he is God himself. He is the creator. Uh, what is the rightful place of a creature? The rightful place of a creature is in submission to the creator. You did not make yourself. I did not make myself. So, my rightful position should be to ask, who is it who has created me? You know, this is how I sometimes introduce the gospel. Uh, you know, you did not create yourself. So you should ask, who is the one who has created me and everyone else in the universe? And I should look to him and ask him, what would you have me do? Now, the Lord Jesus is not just creator, but he is also redeemer. So I'm not just a creature, but I'm also a sinful creature, a creature who only deserves eternal punishment. And then I find that this person, the Lord Jesus, the one who created me, he is also the one who has saved me. And what is the appropriate response? What is the appropriate response for one who has died for me? And the appropriate response is this, you know, that I receive your provision. I receive the eternal life, the gift of salvation that you're giving me. And I surrender before you. You know, I would like to submit to you. I would like to follow you. Uh, is that not the only appropriate response that a creature can give to his creator who has come down to redeem him. You know, this, this honor is always due to God, but all of us should admit this, that in our lives, there were times when we never gave God this honor. We were living our own lives. But then a point in our life comes when we realize that he is the creator, God is there, and he is the one who has saved me as well. So, I should commit my life to him. I should become his disciple. So now coming back to this verse, uh, the Lord Jesus is speaking of the love that we should have for him. Um, elsewhere in the Bible, we read that we are supposed to love our parents, we are supposed to honor them. So the Lord Jesus doesn't mean to say that you should hate, literally hate your parents. But then the understanding is like this, the meaning is like this, that compared to the love that you have for me, the love for your parents should be like hatred. Uh, there is a big difference between how we treat our family and how we treat our enemies. You know, where are enemies and where is our family? There's such a big difference in how we treat them. And the Lord is saying that there should be a similar big difference between your family and me. Okay, just as we love our family much more than our enemies, in the same way the Lord Jesus is saying, you need to love me much more than you love your family. So the Lord is calling for a supreme love. He is calling for a love that is much greater than the love that we have for everyone else. You know, why should we love God so much? Because he created us and because he redeemed us. Uh, you know, sometimes um, this is often true, especially of uh, people who come from uh, non-Christian backgrounds, they, they, are, they are saved and they want to follow the Lord Jesus, but then 
their family is asking them to do something else and then they feel this pressure, they feel this tug. You know, how can I go against my parents? My parents have done so much for me. How can I go against what my parents are saying? You know, but the Bible says that the Lord Jesus is, he is the Lord who upholds everything by the word of his power. That's what we read in Hebrews 1.3. We won't read the verse right now. But in this verse, we read that the Lord Jesus upholds everything by the word of his power. So even everything that our parents have done for us or our family has done for us, they were able to do it only because it was God who enabled them. Am I making myself clear? Our families might have taken care of us, educated us, you know, uh, took us to the hospital when we were sick. All these things our parents or loved ones could do only because they were enabled to do it by God. God is the one in whom our breath is, the breath of our parents is, and therefore he deserves that kind of supreme love and devotion. Um, I'm not a very poetic person, but sometimes I like, uh, I like uh, the lyrics of songs. So um, can anyone suggest any song lyrics of this kind? You know, Jesus has done so much for me and therefore I should love him. No love for him is good enough. On these lines, does anyone remember any lyrics of any songs? Are you getting my question? Jesus has done so much for me and therefore I should love him so much. On these lines, any song lyrics? Sorry, huh, yeah. The love that Jesus had for me to suffer on the cruel tree. Okay, then what does it go further? Does it speak about therefore I should also love him? Anything on that slide? No tongue can tell. Yeah, so that speaks of probably one side of the coin. The love that Jesus had for me was so great to suffer on that cruel tree. Now, the other side of the coin is, therefore, I also should love him. Any other suggestions? Sorry? Okay, how can I help but love him when he loved me so? Okay, any other? There is none like you. Okay, does it speak of our response? Uh, hard. Yes. Yeah. So this is again speaking of the first side of the coin. There is none like the Lord Jesus Christ. No one can touch our hearts like he can. And the other side of the coin is, therefore, we also should give him this kind of supreme love. Uh, this person is uh, my personal favorite uh, songwriter, Isaac Watts. He's called the father of English hymnody. One of his goes like this. It says, Alas, and did my Savior bleed, did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? So he's talking about the love that Jesus had to die on the cross. And then he says, what is his reaction to the cross? I would hide my blushing face. I would dissolve my heart in thankfulness, melt my eyes to tears. When I see the cross, when I see the intensity of the suffering that Jesus had for me, then my, I feel like weeping. I, my eyes go to tears. But then he goes on to say, it's not enough to just weep. Drops of grief can never dip, repay the debt of love that I owe. And then towards the end he says, here Lord, I give myself away. That is all that I can do. What is the appropriate response for a one who has come down from heaven and then died on the cross for us? The only appropriate response is we give ourselves to him. Uh, 
In another song he writes like this, Where the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. The love that Jesus has shown for us, even if we had everything in this world, that also would not be appropriate repayment. But it demands our whole life, our soul, our all. And that is exactly what Jesus is asking for. So, you know, while the Lord Jesus' demand can be very, a very strict demand, it can be very demanding, but it is logical, it is the appropriate thing. What else is appropriate for one who has created and loved us? There's another songwriter who's, who writes like this, And dearly, dearly has he loved, and we must love him too. Trust in his redeeming blood, and try his works to do. So he has loved us so much, and therefore we also should love him so. Okay? So that's the first aspect, or first condition of discipleship that we meditated on. And that is a supreme love for the Lord Jesus. A love that goes far above the love that we have for family, loved ones, dear ones, and so on. And why on earth should we love somebody like this? Because he is worthy of that love. Because he has first loved us. He not only created us, but he left his heaven and came down and died and suffered for us. So he is deserving of such love. Let us go to Matthew chapter 16. And verse 24. 24, the first part reads like this. Then Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny, my, let him deny himself. And then it goes on to say, Take up his cross and follow me. So, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. So, um, uh, these words were spoken by the Lord Jesus Christ in that same incident that we were uh, reminded of just a short while ago. In Caesarea Philippi, the Lord Jesus asked his disciples who he was, and then they answered and all that. Peter gave a very good answer. And then uh, after that, Peter said, no, no, you are not going to go to the cross. And then the Lord Jesus rebuked Peter. And uh, probably, why did Peter tell the Lord Jesus that, no, no, you should not go to the cross? Why do you think? Yeah? Yeah, he had, a, he had a love for the Lord Jesus. It was a friendly kind of, a natural kind of love. You know, um, I have a friend, so why should this friend get killed? Who likes their friends to get killed? So Peter had a natural affection for the Lord Jesus and that's why he said, you know, um, don't go to the cross. But uh, can you see that even natural affection is part of our own self-interest? You know, why do we love other people naturally? Because they can also love us in return. Why do we love people who are like us? You find someone who is from the same background as you, who has the same interests like you have, then you try to make friends with that person because they also will be good friends with you. So natural affection is part of self-interest. And in response to Peter's natural affection and self-interest, the Lord Jesus is saying that a disciple, or a, a disciple of mine, has got to deny himself. That means set aside your natural affections. Now, what's the meaning of uh, denial? Um, first, let's see it from a negative point of view. What it does not mean. Uh, denying oneself uh, does not mean uh, just foregoing pleasure. 
or there is a word in english called asceticism asceticism you know being an ascetic so an ascetic is a person who deliberately foregoes some pleasure <clears throat> so he will abstain from some good stuff or he will deliberately inflict pain on himself that's what an ascetic does but here the lord jesus is not talking about asceticism the, there were many people who were ascetics and even today there are ascetics and these people think that you know the body is something which is evil only the spirit is good the flesh is evil but that's not true that's not biblical uh in the bible we understand that the body or matter atoms and molecules these are good things things that god has created the son of god chose to be incarnated as a man he took upon himself flesh which means that there's nothing wrong in matter there's nothing wrong in the human body or atoms and molecules and um we won't read all these verses uh, to save time but first timothy 6:17 says that god has given us richly all things to enjoy uh which means that there is no merit gained by you know eating only rice without any curry or something like that you know don't make it tasty suffer there is no merit in all that god has given us all these tasty foods and um good good natural beauty all these things he has given us to enjoy uh ascetics also think that um by abstaining from pleasure you will have some moral merit you know barefoot you go and climb up a hill and give some offering to some god so when the god sees you climbing up barefoot and all that he will his heart will be turned toward you and he will give you some favor but all these ideas are not biblical uh we cannot please god by inflicting little bit of suffering on our self the one thing that pleases god is the sacrifice that the lord jesus has accomplished on the cross of calvary that pleases him and that is the channel through which we also go so asceticism is wrong so uh there is no uh there is no uh, benefit uh in denying oneself any pleasure or inflicting suffering on oneself that is not the meaning of what the lord jesus says in colossians chapter 2 it says that even if you do these things these things are not really beneficial these things are not really taking you closer to god um maybe we'll read the last two verses matthew 27 34 Matthew 27:34 Someone could read it loudly Yes so this is at the start of the cross Jesus refused to drink the wine the uh, it was like a mixture of vinegar and something else the sour wine with the soldiers used to drink he refused to drink it because it was dulling the senses it was used to as an anesthetic So the Lord Jesus was not willing to take that anesthetic. He was intending to go through the pain. But now also read John chapter 19 uh verse 28. This is knowing that all good comes from the Lord. Yes, Jesus said I am thirsty and then he drank what was offered to him. This is at the end of the cross. So after the sufferings were accomplished, Jesus was feeling thirsty. and he quenched his thirst okay so even at the cross what i'm trying to point out here is even at the cross the suffering that was underwent by the lord jesus was only as necessary he did not go through unnecessary suffering after the cross he was given the burial in a rich person's tomb so the father saw to it that the lord jesus got a good burial 
So the time of humiliation, the time of suffering is over and then the Son of God was buried in an honorable place. So even at the cross, there is no merit in suffering for the sake of suffering. There was suffering for a purpose, but not just for its own sake. So denial does not mean just inflicting suffering. Um, in a positive sense, what does uh, denial mean? It means to, to remove oneself uh, when our self takes the place that should be occupied by the Lord Jesus. There's nothing wrong in living in a good house. There's nothing wrong in wearing good clothes or driving a nice car or living in a nice place like America. But if any of those things are contrary to the will of God for our lives, then all those things are wrong. If it is God's will for me to be a missionary in a village, then it's wrong for me to live in the city. If it is God's will for me to minister to some very poor people out there, then it is wrong for me to live in a big city and live in a big house and drive a nice car. So self-denial, denying oneself means putting the will of God before or above our own desires or our own wills. Uh, is, this, is this point being made clear? Okay. There's nothing wrong intrinsically in any of the good things that people enjoy. But they will become wrong if they are contrary to the will of God. So denying myself doesn't mean stopping eating good food, but it does mean going to a place where there is no good food available if that is the will of God for my life. So the Lord Jesus said, you know, deny oneself. And I think we all would be aware of uh, different examples of people who have denied something in their own life. Uh, does anyone know, can anyone identify this person? Not, she's not so well, well known. Uh, her name is uh, Mary Slessor. Uh, she is a Scottish uh, missionary who went to Africa. I think she was born in the year that David Livingston died. And then she went to Western Africa as a missionary. Uh, this, is, this is a statue of her in Nigeria. So the people of Nigeria have, have honored her like this. And uh, the Bank of Scotland uh, has her on their currency note. Now, um, I'm taking Mary Slessor's example here uh, as an example of denial. You know, when she went to Africa and then once when she came back to the U UK, um, she was still a young woman and she met uh, a man and uh, she wanted to marry him. But then it soon became apparent that um, this marriage was not fitting with her calling to be a missionary to the Africans. So... Uh, finally she called off the marriage, she said no. Although, although she loved this man, uh, but she said no. Uh, so, I mean, we all, we all like to get married, we all like to have a relationship with someone and spend the rest of our lives with them and all that. And Mary Slessor is a person who uh, renounced this, who denied this aspect of her life. Why? Because she believed that God was calling her to go to the jungle in Africa, a place where her prospective husband was not willing to go. So she went and preached to those savages there uh, rather than get married and live a happy life in the UK. So example of self-denial. But this is not just for missionaries about whom we hear stories. This is for all disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? So um, the second aspect of discipleship. The first was a supreme love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And right now, we looked at 
a denial of self. If you want to be my disciple, says the Lord Jesus, then deny yourself and follow me. Uh, Self-denial is a one-time thing, but it is also a continuous thing. When we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, when we come in repentance and faith, we are saved, we are born again. At that time, uh, we are denying ourselves. We are making Jesus Christ the Lord of our life. We are telling Jesus that, okay, from now on, what you say in my life, that's going to go, not my own desires. And that's how we become disciples of Christ. But as we walk along in our Christian life, as human beings, we are variable. As human beings, we are prone to change, prone to backslide, prone to uh, go back on the commitments that we made. So it is very, very likely that we need to take a decision again to bring ourselves to this point of self-denial. So this is a one-time thing. It's also a continuous thing. Um, we are supposed to offer our lives, our bodies as living sacrifices, you know, but we tend to crawl off that position. We tend to walk away from that. So it's a continuous thing that we need to do. Let's get back to Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. What does the next part of the verse say? Let him take up his cross and follow me. So after denial, there is the taking of one's cross. Okay, b- before we go to this uh, taking up of the cross, there's a little bit more that I want to say on denial of self. Shall we also read Matthew chapter 16, verse 25? Yeah, so I'm, I'm now getting into this question. Why is it so necessary to deny oneself? And reading this verse number 25, a question might come to us. Why is such a paradox? Why is it that those people who try to save their life will lose it? And those people who uh, are ready to lose their life, they will gain it. Why is such a paradox? Why is the result the opposite of what you try for? And the answer is in our sinfulness. We are sinful people. So it is very likely that the things that we seek will not be for our ultimate good. You know, uh, consider this uh, crude example. Uh, Suppose you have a lion and a lioness and uh, the lioness is infected and the zoo officials want to save the life of the lioness. So do you think the lion is going to allow the zoo officials to approach this lioness? No. What they'll have to do is, they'll have to shoot them with a tranquilizer. Put down the lion, put down the lioness also. Once they are made unconscious, then against their will, take them to the hospital, give give the lioness the appropriate treatment, and then send the lioness back. And that is the only way to save the lioness's life. So the only way to save the lioness's life is to go against her will, to deny herself what she wants to do something to her which is opposite of what she wants. And at another level, the same problem applies with us. As sinful human beings, we will seek our own welfare or what we think to be our own welfare. But because we are sinful, because our knowledge is finite, these things are not for our ultimate benefit. And so, if you really want your ultimate benefit, then set aside your own desires, 
and go and ask for what the Lord is demanding from you. Is that making sense? If I did not believe that I was sinful, I would never want to deny myself. But I know that my knowledge is imperfect, my desires are imperfect. If I follow my desires, I will only go to destruction. So it is better for me that I actually deny myself and look to the Lord Jesus. Okay. Um, what is the ultimate objective in this universe? Where is everything headed to? What, what is like the destination of God's plan? How would you describe it? Loudly. Yeah, His glory, exactly. The display of God's glory. That's where everything is headed. Either you're in it or you're out of it. And uh, as humans, we want blessings. But in the Bible, the pattern is like this. Man's blessings never come first. Man's blessings are always second. Man's blessings are always a byproduct of God's glory. So if you want your ultimate good, then seek God's glory. If you seek your own good, it is going to be bad in the long run. If you try to save your life, your life will actually be destroyed. Does this make sense to anyone? Anyone is familiar with this? Yeah, Jim Elliot. So he's famous for few quotes. One of them is there. This is his diary actually. So I think he was doing his quiet time. So the quote that I'm referring to is the one that is uh, starred there, the one with the asterisks. Uh, he was a very talented person and uh, God was calling him to be a missionary in the Amazon rainforest. And a lot of people were saying that a person with your talents, your capabilities will be much better used in the United States. Why do you want to go to the middle of the jungle? So this was a response to that. He says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Yeah, logical, isn't it? Uh, if you deny yourself, then you will gain that which you cannot lose. Uh, his colleague, uh, Nate Saint, with one of the tribals whom they met. And, uh, but unfortunately, those, I, do, I don't know whether it's correct to say unfortunately, but those tribals killed, uh, killed Jim Elliot and his companions shortly after this picture was taken. Uh, but this is a picture in the next generation where uh, that's the son, Steve Saint, the son of Nate Saint. So he's uh, standing with the very people who killed his father. So now they are saved. So uh, Jim Elliot is an example of a person who denied himself. Give up that which you cannot keep in order that you would gain that which you will never lose. So Jesus is asking us to deny ourselves a tough choice, but nevertheless a sensible, logical choice which is ultimately for our benefit. So there's a song which goes like this, not my own. You know, I'm saved by Jesus and so I'm not my own. And therefore, everything that I have, I commit to the Lord Jesus. So we looked at supreme love and we looked at denying oneself. Then coming back to Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24, it says, if a, if a man wants to be made disciple, he should deny himself and then take up his cross. Take up his cross. So what is the meaning of taking up one's cross? Now the cross uh, is, uh, it reminds us of suffering. Uh, so sometimes when we use the word cross, we are referring to any suffering that we might be going through in our lives. 
Maybe in our lives we have a health problem or we have some difficult circumstances, financial problems, and sometimes people refer to these things as our cross. Okay? But that's not a correct usage. To understand the correct usage of the word cross, we have to look into the context there. Matthew chapter 16. It's that same incident where the Lord Jesus asked his disciples, who do you think I am? Peter had the right answer. Then the Lord Jesus began to tell them that I am going to Jerusalem in order to get crucified. And that Peter said, no, no, please don't do that. And then the Lord Jesus rebuked Peter and then he is saying these words. So these words are spoken by a man who has just said that I am going there to get crucified. So what do you think the word cross means? The cross means the same thing, the crucifixion. I am going to carry a cross to Calvary. If you guys want to be my disciple, then you also should pick up your cross and follow me. So, um, now it is true that in our day and age, crucifixion is not used as a method of execution. So, no matter what you do today, probably no one is going to put you on a cross. They'll probably burn you alive, but they will not put you on a cross. So, then how do we understand it? What's the meaning of cross? In those days, the cross was a form of execution that was reserved for those people who were considered serious criminals. Those people who were despised by society, despised by the government, people who were considered as worthy of the ultimate suffering. Crucifixion is a very painful method of uh, killing by today's standards and even by the standards of the ancient times. So it's the worst possible treatment that can be given to a person. So when the Lord Jesus says that you need to pick up your cross and follow me, what he is saying is that you need to be willing to go through the ultimate suffering if that is the desire of God, if that is the will of the Father. You know, and we'll feel like asking this question, you know, why do disciples have to choose something that is potentially so painful? You're asking me to make a commitment because of which later on in my life I might have such great pain. Is that really necessary? Why, why such things? And the answer is because this is a world of evil. Uh, the Lord Jesus came to do good in this world and since the world was evil, they treated him in an evil way. And so today, if we are going to be followers of Christ and we are also going to do that which is good, then do you expect the world to treat you well? No. The world is in rebellion against God. The very ground that we are walking on is stained with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So if we are his disciples, then it is pretty likely that we are also going to face some opposition or some suffering. And the Lord Jesus is saying, if you want to be my disciple, you have to be ready for that. Um, you know, some people ask, you know, why can't God just, you know, neutralize the evil? You know, every time somebody comes to, uh, you know, beat up some Christians or something, God should just paralyze that person's hand, you know. But if God indulges in that kind of manipulation, you can that takes away from the reality and the genuineness of the work that God is doing in this world and the kind of transformation that he is doing. Unless sin is manifest and sin is shown for what it is, you cannot have the change in the life of a sinner. So God is not going to neutralize the evil. God is also not going to neutralize our own sinfulness. 
you know, I have this tendency of lust, I have this tendency of uh, anger, I have a lot of bad qualities in me. You know, why can't God just uh, do something to me, just fix me up and just turn me instantly into someone who is perfect? No, God will not do that. If God were to do that, then our identities would be violated. And God is not wanting to violate our identities. If I am Johnny, sinful Johnny, then God wants me to be holy, but he wants me to be holy Johnny only, not holy another, another person. So, uh, God is not going to do quick fixes for evil, whether it is the evil outside or whether the, it is the evil in our own hearts. And that is why, as people who want to follow which is good, we might face suffering, we might face the cross. And that is why Jesus says, you cannot be my disciple unless you are willing to take up the cross. This, yeah, this is the... This is the theme song. I didn't know it was the theme song, but I chose it because it speaks of taking the cross. So the author, who is unknown, he says like this, that Jesus, I my cross have taken, all to leave and follow thee. Why? Because thou didst shed thy blood for me. The Lord Jesus is worthy of that. And we must understand that if we are following a person whom the world killed, then it is quite likely that they will persecute us also. And therefore we should be willing for the cross. Uh, another writer, J.E. Hussey, he writes like this, May I be willing, Lord, to bear daily my cross for thee, even thy cup of grief to share, thou hast borne all for me. So first he says like this, you know, lest I forget Gethsemane, lest I forget thy love for me. So God has loved us so much, suffered so much for us, and therefore we are also willing to bear our cross for him. Um, anyone knows anything about John Bunyan? Yeah, yeah. he's well known for writing The Pilgrim's Progress. I think after the Bible, the most widely read, most translated book on the face of this earth. Now, um, John Bunyan was a preacher and he was in prison because uh, of his preaching. Uh, this, is, uh, this is what he said, he wrote once, you know. He said, if to be hanged up presently before their eyes, that is the people of his village... If, is, if this would be the means to awaken them and confirm them in the truth, I gladly should consent to it. So he's saying that if I need to be hanged in public, which is what used to happen in England at that time, if I need to be hanged in public so that the people of my city will turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, then I'm willing to be executed in public. That's what Banyan is saying. Um, uh, it's taken from his autobiography. His autobiography is titled um, Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. So in that he speaks like this. You know, I'm willing to, you know, be killed, executed in public. If that's what it takes to turn the hearts of the people of Bedford, my hometown, towards the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I once read um, uh, an, uh, a devotional in which uh, a preacher was... Uh, sharing his experience where he was praying with somebody from Romania and that time Romania was a communist country and uh, the, the Romanian brother who was praying he was praying like this to God saying that you know God if it's going to take my blood to get my countrymen to you then I offer my blood I'm willing for my blood to be shed on this land if that's what it's going to take for my countrymen to know the Lord Jesus as their savior so uh, this is something which God is asking from us, to be willing to take up your cross, that is willing to face the ultimate punishment or the ultimate suffering, um, you know, for the cross. 
we will um, um, we will just close with two verses. One is uh, Hebrews chapter twelve, verse two. Someone could read that. Yeah. It says who was, uh, Jesus who for the joy that was set before him he endured the cross. So what motivated the Lord Jesus to go to the cross? It was the joy. The joy of doing his father's will, the joy of seeing people like you and me redeemed in his presence. That was what motivated him to go to the cross. And we can add the same thing can motivate us as well. The joy that we will have in heaven that motivates us to choose the cross today because you can't have that without this. And finally, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Yes, everyone who wants to live a godly life will be persecuted. So the obvious question is that if we are not being persecuted, uh, is it because God has made some exception for us or perhaps we are not living a godly life, perhaps we have not uh, decided to take up the cross and that's why God is not giving us the cross. Uh, but let that be a question in our mind. You know, am I facing persecution? Uh, the Lord Jesus asked us to take up our cross and follow him. Cross means suffering for the cause of Christ. That's persecution. And those who live godly lives will have it. So let that be a question that we ask ourselves. So just to summarize, we look today at the conditions of discipleship uh, the Lord Jesus is calling for disciples. He is not calling for fans. He is not calling for admirers, observers, onlookers, anything like that. He is calling for disciples. But he lays the conditions. You have to love me more than you love anyone else. You have to deny yourself. You have to take up your cross. And what I try to show is that all these three, even though they are very demanding, very tough conditions, but they are actually perfectly reasonable. They are the only appropriate response that human beings can make to a God who has loved them, to a God who has loved us. So uh, let us think about these things as to where we stand on the conditions that our Lord Jesus has made for disciples. May God bless these words. Now we will have about five minutes as time of reflection. Um, we have some questions that will be put up over here and also in the app if you go